You ever stop and actually just look at the nativity and then think about the people that are in it? Like the shepherd, an ordinary man, working class, rugged, forgotten. His job was to make sure that the sources of people's clothes and food remained safe and healthy. They led the sheep from valley to valley, from hilltop to hilltop, looking for greener pastures. The sheep would follow them wherever they went because they knew the very sound of their voice. But it's important to know that shepherds were not leaders of people, only sheep. Most shepherds didn't own the sheep they led. They were hired hands. Some were good shepherds, but most were only remembered as being bad shepherds. Disputes were common between landowners and the shepherds as they would often lead flocks onto lands where they didn't belong. People were suspicious of shepherds because shepherds would eat their produce as they traveled. This is why many shepherds were known as thieves. In general, they were seen as people who were untrustworthy and unreliable. They would often abandon their sheep at the sign of danger or if they just felt like they weren't cut out for the job that was given to them. They left sheep often to wander alone, without a leader, and vulnerable to attack and assimilation into flocks in which they didn't belong. The bad shepherd analogy is given more in the Old Testament than the good shepherd analogy when it refers to priests and leaders of God's people. So why are they in the nativity? The simple answer is that the angel of the Lord appeared to them. Can you imagine being on the hilltop that day when the angel appeared? The Bible tells us that these shepherds were scared. Now, of course they were. If you were laying in bed and randomly an angel appeared, you would be scared too, right? Be honest. Yeah, you would be scared. But what were they scared of? Were they scared at the sight of the angel or what the angel might say to them? You godless, dirty men. You will live insignificant lives forever. You know the story. That's not what the angels said. Instead, here's what they said, or the angel said. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The angel brought good news to the shepherds that night. There is a baby being born, and he is a savior for all people. That includes you, shepherds, ordinary men and women, people who are not seen as possessing great skill or great wealth. He is even for those who are known as being deserters and thieves, for those who wander from hilltop to hilltop looking for greener pastures. This baby was going to be a savior for shepherds. When the shepherds looked upon Jesus that night, they discovered someone they could follow and trust. He would be a leader for people like them. 
their past and the perceptions of others would not matter to Jesus. Jesus' heart ached for shepherds and came to change the stereotype. He would become a shepherd, but not of sheep, of people. He looked at the crowds and he saw people were sheep without a shepherd. Jesus said that he is the good shepherd who calls his sheep by name. They hear his voice and they will follow no one else. You see, shepherds couldn't always be trusted, but Jesus would prove he could be. He would lay down his life for his sheep because he loved them more than life. Just as sheep entrusted their lives to shepherds, shepherds would come to entrust their lives to Jesus. Then there are the wise men. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, some of you are. The wise men weren't actually there that night. You're right. Because they traveled from afar. But they saw the star and they began the journey. And so it's right for us to think about them in this situation or as a part of the story. They were people from Persia and Babylon, and so they had a long way to travel. They were astrologists. People interpreted dreams and philosophers who were seeking wisdom and magic. They were familiar with many of the ancient writings that were accompanied by a vast array of religions. And since the Jewish people had been in exile for so long in Persia and in Babylon for hundreds of years, they would have known many of the prophecies of Jesus' birth. So they followed the star to Jerusalem that night seeking a king. When they arrived at Israel's capital, they asked Herod, where is born the king of the Jews? Herod, a Roman king who is living in Jerusalem, who is one of the kings of the most powerful nation of the world, must have been startled by this or even confused. He must have thought, what? Wait, a king? King of the Jews? I'm their king. So Herod gathered, he gathered his priests together and he asked them, where was this king of the Jews prophesied to be born? Where was this Messiah going to be? The wise men were then given directions to go to Bethlehem. But before they left, Herod asked these wise men to report back to them because in his heart, he had planned to kill Jesus. When the wise men looked upon Jesus, they discovered a boy that was greater than Herod, worthy of worship. Here's what the Bible says. And as they went into the house, they saw a child with, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they fell down and worshiped him. Opening their treasures, they offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Why these gifts? Why myrrh? Myrrh was used for embalming. It was used for the dead. Now, you should maybe find this a little odd. Why would you give a baby something for their death? And just think about this for a moment. What if you were married 
You're reminding me that my son is going to die? It would be a little offensive, right? But not in this case, right? Nor was it odd, but it is a gift of faith. We do not know precisely what the wise men may have known completely about Jesus' ministry. But what we do know is that the Old Testament told of Jesus' death and suffering over and over and over again. Then there's the frankincense. It was used in temple worship. It was mixed with oil to anoint the priest of Israel. And so in presenting this gift, the wise men pointed to Jesus as our great high priest, the one whose life would be acceptable as it was laid on the altar to his father. Yet Jesus didn't just see himself as the great high priest. He saw himself also as the temple. He referred to his own body being the temple, the dwelling place of God. And he told people it would be destroyed and in three days it would be raised up again. And then gold. It's easy to see why gold is an appropriate gift for Jesus. Gold is the medal of kings. That's what you offer kings. So when, a gold is present, so when the gold is presented to Jesus, it shows that they believe that he has a right to rule, that he will be a king, that he is a king. The wise men knew that Jesus was the king of kings, and so they brought him a gift fit for kings. Now the wise men never returned to tell Herod about Jesus. They disobeyed that king because they knew that there was a greater king. Jesus was the king of kings and lord of lords. Every kingdom will come to an end, but Jesus's will never end. The wise men read that Jesus' kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and that one day every knee will bow and to worship this baby just as theirs did. There's Joseph. Now, speaking of kings, Joseph was a descendant of a king, the greatest king of Israel, a descendant of King David. King David was Joseph's great, 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 great grandfather. You get the point, right? And yet Joseph, like the shepherds, was a common man. He was a carpenter. And we know very little about Joseph. What must that have been like to have been a descendant of a king? And nobody knows anything about you. In fact, we know so little about Joseph. I got out my three-inch thick New Testament dictionary, and it says absolutely nothing about him. The only thing we know about Joseph is basically what was written in the Bible. Joseph's story starts out in a predicament. His fiancée is pregnant, and it's not his child. We are told that Joseph, in Matthew 1.19, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce Mary quietly. Now, to divorce quietly... Right? It's probably not what most men would do in his situation. But he was not out to ruin Mary or this child's life. So what changed his mind? While pondering what to do, an angel appeared to Joseph. And here's what the Bible records. Joseph, the angel says, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. The Bible continues and says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not till she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. After the appearance of an angel, Joseph decides to stay with Mary and to adopt Jesus. Angel or no angel, to raise a child that is not yours takes commitment. That night, at the manger, he wasn't just looking at God's child, he began to look at his own. Through Jesus, Joseph discovered the meaning of commitment. He committed to raise Jesus as his own. Joseph was legally bound through Jesus, through adoption. And Jesus was bound to Joseph. Jesus is a descendant of King David for this very reason, because of the commitment that David made to Jesus. And it was more than just a legal arrangement. Joseph committed to the well-being of Jesus. He taught him to be a carpenter, and Jesus became a carpenter. So Jesus showed his commitment to his father by becoming a carpenter. And I believe that his carpenter father was on his mind as he was nailed to the wooden cross overlooking the city of David as his nails went through his hand. And then there's Mary, a young girl, engaged but not married, a virgin. If she were alive today, we're not even sure that she'd be old enough to drive. Yet, God is going to entrust her with his son. Now, can you imagine what it must have been like for her to receive this news? Here's what the angel said. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in the womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and and of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, wait a second. The angel begins... Oh, favored one. Now, did you catch that? She's going to have a child. She's engaged. And it's not Joseph's. The Bible says she's troubled. No wonder she's troubled. Ladies, right, you would be too. Joseph is a simple man, but he's not going to believe this story, is he? No. He doesn't. Joseph plans to divorce her. Could she really blame him? Of course not. 
no one would really believe this story. She's going to be just a young, silly girl who made a big mistake. But she wasn't. Mary started to prepare to take care of Jesus herself, preparing to lose her reputation and to give birth to her son. Nothing would keep her from having Jesus. He was a gift, as all children are. And even if she would not be favored by others, she would resolve that she would be favored by God. Yet, deep down, I believe, because of her great faith, she knew that Joseph would change his mind. I mean, how else would Jesus be the son of David? What we do know is that Mary is a model of great faith. And what she discovered in Jesus that night was self-sacrificing love. She was ready to put her reputation on the line for Jesus. Just as he would be willing to give up his reputation for ours. Mary knew she would be falsely accused of adultery. And Jesus knew he would be falsely accused of blasphemy and treason. Mary is the only one who is at the manger and the cross. She had a front row to both the incarnation and the crucifixion. God's great love is expressed in both scenes. Love experienced through joy at the birth of God's son who left heaven for earth and a love marked by deep sadness and pain on the cross as God's sinless son dies for sinners. For Mary, the manger and the cross evoke different emotions, but both are an expression of Jesus' great love for us. So what do all of these people have in common? They all are looking at Jesus. Jesus is what makes their lives full. He is what gives them significance. He is what gives them meaning. And each person shows us that when we look at Jesus, he can do the same. And so this Christmas, if you were lost, remember, Jesus is the good shepherd. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he wants to give your life direction. If you are tired of trying to follow the latest guru or wondering what to do or way to go, and if you're looking for happiness and fulfillment only to come up short each and every time, give Jesus a try. The one who has been guiding people for over 2,000 years, give him a try. Follow him. Yeah, I know that his followers and, and Christians don't always get it right. We don't. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because here's the thing. We may not get it right, but Jesus did. Our lives might not always be beautiful, but Jesus's was. And so what Jesus is doing is he's calling all of us, and he calls us by name. Is he calling you by name to follow you just as he called the shepherds that night? If your objects of worship are leaving you empty and unfulfilled, 
Will you come like the wise men and worship Christ? Jesus is worthy of our worship. He is the only one worthy of our worship. The kingdoms you build and the people you worship and the wisdom you seek, it's all finite. It will all end. It's all so small. And yet Jesus is eternal. You were created to worship something greater than yourself, not something like yourself. You were created to worship the creator and not the created. And so will you, like the wise men, bow before Jesus and worship him this Christmas? Are you committed to anything meaningful? Well, Jesus wants your commitment. He will teach you how to commit and care for something bigger than yourself. He will teach you that others are as significant as you and how to give your life in service to others so that you might find life and so that you might give it to others. Jesus said this. He said, forever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Joseph didn't give up his life that day he adopted Jesus. No. He found life. Will you commit to Jesus this morning like Joseph did? And is your love shallow and your heart dark? The Holy Spirit wants to come upon you just as he came upon Mary that night to announce that Jesus would be coming. Jesus wants to change your heart. If he doesn't have your heart, he doesn't have you. He gave us his heart the day that he was born. He was born not to teach us how to love, but to show us how to love. He cared for those with little, like shepherds, and he welcomed those with much, like the wise men. His love is both deep and it's wide. His love is displayed in the manger and on the cross. On the manger as he leaves heaven for earth, and on the cross as the sinless one dies for sinners. Jesus was born that Christmas day so that we might be reborn, so that our hearts might be changed. And so if your heart needs changed this morning, will you give your heart to Christ? This is the example Mary gave us. This is, these are some of the things that we should think about when we look upon the nativity. Maybe the next time you look upon the nativity, you will stop and think about the shepherd, about the wise men, and about Mary, that's Mary, and Joseph. And you'll think about your own life and where you are gazing, what your heart is doing, what you are worshiping, who you are committed to, And if you love, like Jesus has called us to love, let us pray. Father, we thank you for each person at the Nativity. We thank you that you called the shepherds. And so let us remember, Father, that you call us in the same way. Let us remember that you are our good shepherd, that you call us each by name, and so we pray that you call us at this moment right now and we follow you. We thank you for the wise men, for showing us that you are worthy of our worship.
Help us to remember each and every day that you are our king. We thank you for Joseph and his humble commitment to you. Let us commit to receiving you as Joseph did. Lord, we thank you for the brave and faithful Mary who loved you enough to be ready to sacrifice everything. So let us do the same while we remember that you sacrificed everything for us. Most importantly, we thank you for your son Jesus who has the power to transform our lives if we will simply exercise faith. So Father, as we conclude, let your Holy Spirit descend on us so that we might receive your Son the same way each person in the Nativity did. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.